Today we're going to look at a very kind of obscure hero. His name is Habakkuk. Now, how many of you, let's be honest, this is, a, this is an honest moment, see how honest you are. How many of you right now, without fumbling, without uh, searching, could go directly to Habakkuk in your Bibles? How many could do that? Good, two of you, awesome. Okay, so that's what I meant. We're, we're a people of, un, we're imperfect and we all have our issues and a little bit later we're going to show you where you can find Habakkuk. Now, I didn't mean your electronic device, Bruce. I did mean, you know, this thing. Okay, yeah, okay, so. So how many of you have ever asked the question, why me? Okay, raise your hand if you've asked that question. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're probably not being very honest right now. Let me tell you a true story about Victor. Victor was seated in a crowded train headed for Budapest. He was one of the leading bee experts in Hungary and was transporting a box of bees, which he had placed under his seat on the train. He was enjoying the passing scenery and the cool breeze coming from the open window. As he was talking to a passenger seated next to him, uh, he felt something crawling up his leg. And then another something, and another something. Eventually, he pulled up his pant leg, and sure enough, there were bees all over his calf. Well, now, he wasn't too panicked, but he realized that maybe some of the people in the train car with him might be panicked. So he decided to calmly suggest to the other passengers that they leave the car while he retrieved the bees and put them back in their container, which would involve a bit of disrobing as well, right? And so the other passengers cleared the car. Victor began taking his pants off. Just as he had them pulled free from his legs, an express train passed, and the sudden draft of air through the open window blew his pants back into the corridor, and they wrapped around the head of the conductor. True story. A startled onlooker pulled the emergency brake. As the train lurched to a halt, somehow a fire started. When the other train officials rushed to the tragic scene, they discovered Victor minus his pants. They assumed he must have escaped from him as a mental patient, so they bundled him up off to the nearest mental hospital, where it took Victor three days to convince the doctors that he was sane. Victor certainly had a very, very bad day, and I'm sure several times during that day, he asked the following question, why me? Have you ever had any of those why me kind of days? Our hero this week is a relatively unknown prophet by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived in a time of great distress for the people of Israel. The Babylonian Empire was overwhelming much of the known ancient Near East, along with the Assyrians. And beginning in 592 BC, they sacked Jerusalem. It was a tragic time. The Israelites had turned their backs to Yahweh. They had forsaken Jehovah. And now they were being held captive and held in check by the dreaded and the wicked Babylonians. No wonder Habakkuk asks the Lord two deliberate questions. Questions that all of us have asked the Lord at different times in our lives. The first one is, why me? And the second question is, right? How long? <laughs> How long, O oh Lord? How long are we going to have to put up with this situation? How long until things get better? How long? 
It kind of reminds me of Murphy's Law. You know Murphy's Law? Edward A. Murphy was an engineer working on Air Force Project MX-981 in 1949. Uh, he, was he was designing something to see what a sudden deceleration, how much a person could stand in a crash. One day after finding a transducer was wired wrong, he cursed the technician responsible and said, if there's any way to do it wrong, you're going to find a way to do it. Well, the contractor's project manager kept a list of laws around the office, and he added this one, which he called Murphy's Law. We know it better today as, if anything can go wrong, it will. Murphy's Law has caught on so well that it does seem to explain the way of life, how it goes for many of us these days. Now, there have been many derivations since that exist. Uh, one is called the Murphy Philosophy, and it says, smile, Tomorrow will be worse. And then there's Hartman's automotive laws that came out of Murphy's Law. Here's Hartman's automotive laws. Nothing minor ever happens to a car on a weekend, right? Number two, nothing minor ever happens to a car on a road trip, right? And three, nothing minor ever happens to a car, okay? So that's a derivation of, of Murphy. And then O'Toole's commentary uh, said it this way. Murphy was an optimist. So uh, all of us realize that things can go wrong in our world. And it seems like they often do. So I think we all kind of understand that. You know, we kind of, you know, you've heard when life gives you lemons, you know, make lemonade. Well, for most of us, when life gives us lemons, it just sucks. You know, there's no way to get around that. And, and so uh, I want to look at our suffering hero, Habakkuk, today. Now, uh, I want you to turn your Bibles. If you have your, um, your devices, it's easier to manip uh, manipulate and kind of navigate. But uh, um, see if you can find Habakkuk. I'll give you 13 minutes. No, uh, it's nestled uh, somewhere uh, between uh, uh, Nahum and Zephaniah, but you can find it. Uh, it's very difficult to find, but it's a wonderful little book, four chapters, and it's one of the great messages of the Bible. And so at this point in the sermon, I want to just say this to you, what? Read your Bibles. <laughs> Some of you have never heard of Habakkuk. And today you're going to hear about it. You're going to go home and read the entire four chapters. And you're going to say, I didn't know this existed. This is awesome. This is amazing. And so we're going to read Habakkuk. And I'm going to start by reading chapter 1, the first four verses. Now, uh, the Israelites have been overwhelmed. Now, they've been pushed by the Assyrians. But now they're overwhelmed by the Babylonians. And uh, it just looks really bad. And uh, they don't know what's going to happen because they haven't actually been attacked yet, but they're surrounded by the Babylonians. <coughs> Excuse me. I've had this bad cough. And they're surrounded by the Babylonians, and Habakkuk, the prophet, is going, man, I don't know what to do, you know. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he's, he's just kind of at the end of his rope. And so we begin uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is Habakkuk speaking. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you. Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? How many times have we asked that of the Lord, right? Lord, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why do good, good, bad things happen to good people, right? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. 
By the way, this is written in the 6th century BC, not yesterday, okay? Uh, Conflict abounds, therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And you could go on and go, wah, wah, wah. You know, the guy is just at the end of his rope. What do I do? He says, God, you're not listening. God, you're not saving. Destruction and violence are all around me. The law is paralyzed, which means the law has no power. Justice is perverted. How long? Why me? Habakkuk did not understand, nor did he really seem to care about God's ways or God's timing. God said that the world would allow, that he would allow the wicked Babylonians to punish the Israelites. Now remember, at this point in the history of the Israelites, they were being very wicked themselves. The Israelites had turned their back on Jehovah. They had said no to God. It's kind of like when the Babylonians go after the Israelites. It's kind of like ISIS doing vengeance on a white supremacist group, you know. It's bad, but somebody bad's going to get punished, you know. And that's kind of what was happening in those days. So Habakkuk's complaint is this. Why? God, why is everything going so wrong? Why didn't things go well for me? I love you and I'm trying to serve you and I'm trying to do the best thing for you. God, why is everything going wrong for me? Well, here's the interesting part about this text. God never answers the question. God never answers the question, why? Now, often we do the same thing. God, why do you do this? And we're looking for questions and answers to our questions. And so seldom in Scripture, sometimes he does, but so seldom in Scripture does God actually give answers to our questions. Here's what he gives us instead. He said, you've got me. You've got my presence. You've got the living God present with you, available to you, and in you. Do you really just need answers to questions? Or do you need me? So God says, listen, somebody's got, his complaint was, God, why and how long? And God said, listen, things are going to get worse. Uh, the Babylonians are going to attack you, the Israelites, and it's going to get messy, and, and, and it's going to get bad. Now, now, this idea of why me and why are you picking on me, God, is not new. All of us in this room at different times have asked that question, why me? But, but it's in the Bible as well. In Psalm 13, 1, the, author, uh, the, uh, the songwriter says, How long, O Lord, will you, will you forget me forever? How many of you thought about that, right? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt like God was hiding his face from you? To discover only that you've been hiding your face from him? I mean, how long, oh God, is this going to continue happening? Now, human beings have an enormous capacity to make a mess out of their lives. Uh, even those of us who are Christ followers. We, have, we, have, we, we can do that all day long. We can really mess things up. But this wasn't necessarily... Yes, the Israelites sinned, and yes, they were going to be punished and all of that. But sometimes in life, it's not that we've done something wrong, often it is, but sometimes it's just that we live in a broken, sinful world. Sometimes it's just that we live in this, this backward, awkward place. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And we say, why, God? Why? It's interesting to me that God doesn't answer the why questions, but instead, he says, trust in me. 
I'm not going to answer your question. I want you to trust in me. And then Habakkuk had a second complaint. His second complaint was, why are you going to allow these dreaded Babylonians to punish us? And then God again says, listen, I'm not going to answer your question right now. Just tell the people what I told them, what's going to happen. And then at this point in the story, God opens his heart to Habakkuk and reveals not the answer. God doesn't really care if you get the answers to all your questions. He doesn't reveal the answer, but he reveals his desire. And it's Habakkuk 2, 4. This is what it says. But the righteous will live by his faith. God says, listen, Habakkuk, I know you love me, and I know you're trying your best to serve me. I I know that. But you're asking all of these questions. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know what I'm seeing. I see this panorama of everything. You only see your little section of the world. You don't know what's going on. Here's what you need to really do, Habakkuk. You need to trust me. Trust in my sovereignty. Trust that I know what I'm doing. Trust that I'm God and you're not. You need to trust me. But the righteous will live by his faith. God wants us to be people of faith. And again, God's priority is never the answer to our questions. His priority is our heart and our relationship with him. So this verse, Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall lives by his faith. Um, We know that um, more um, readily, at least we read it more often, in Romans 1.17, where Paul quoted this verse from Habakkuk 2. Now what's interesting about this, I want to just give you a little historical background. Um, During, just before the Reformation, okay, so Habakkuk was written about the 6th century B.C., fast forward 2,100 years to the 15th century A.D., okay? Uh, The Holy Roman Empire has kind of crushed the world in terms of religion for 1,000 years, from 500 to 1,500 A.D., and everything's all in turmoil. People don't know what religion really is. And Martin Luther uh, is teaching, he's a young priest, he's teaching a class of monks on the book of Romans, and he comes across this verse, the just shall live by faith. And he pauses and he says, now wait a minute. (laughs) The church has been telling me that the just shall live by obedience to the rules. The church has been telling me the just shall live by doing what the Pope says. The just shall live by how, when was I baptized and how much money do I give to the parish? That's what I've been told all my life, that the just shall live by what he does and how much he gives. And here the Bible says, no, the just shall live by faith. And when Martin Luther grasped that reality, that truth, the Protestant Reformation, at least in his heart, began right then. And it changed everything in our world. Let me tell you something. When you grasp hold of the concept that you are to believe rather than behave. Now, there's nothing wrong with behaving good. I'm not saying that. But too many people are trying to be saved by how they behave. And God says, no, it's how you believe. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you put your faith and your trust in in Jehovah? Do you say, God, you are my rock. You are the one that I believe and I trust in you. Habakkuk realized that though he did not understand God's ways or timing, he could not doubt God's wisdom, God's love, or God's reliability. Then Habakkuk wrote one of the absolutely great affirmations 
that you will find anywhere in the Bible. I'm going to do something different right now. I'm going to read this from Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. But I'd like you just for a moment to close your eyes. Close the world around you. Uh, just forget about everything that's going on in your life and say, Lord, I just want to give you all of the things going on in my life because I want to listen fully to this word from you. This is the Father's word for Hope Covenant Church for you right now today, July 5th, 2015. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Now open your eyes. What the Lord is saying to the prophet is this. In spite of your circumstances, in spite of anything that you're going through, in spite of the most difficult thing you've ever faced in your life, maybe the Babylonians are starting to crush your life, in spite of all of that, you can have and experience, listen to this, defiant joy. Defiant joy. In the face of all things contrary, you can say, my joy and my faith is in the Lord. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what circumstances I find myself in. It's the Lord that I trust in and I have defiant joy in him. Now that's a promise for you. Some of you right now are going through the worst circumstances you can possibly imagine. And this word today is for you. Yet... In spite of that, in other words, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my Savior. Defiant joy, victorious joy. Let me paraphrase Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the bees run up your pant legs, though the stock market crashes, though my marriage falters and my kids turn far from God, though my finances are depleted, and everything I rely on fails. Still, I will trust in the Lord. My confidence in God will not waver. I know that the pain that we feel is real. I am not minimizing that. I know the trouble that we feel and the crushing blows sometimes that's in our lives. I know that it's real. But God is even more real than that. Even though my circumstances are terrible. I have defiant joy. I will trust in the Lord. That's what God is calling Hope Covenant Church to. This is what faith believes. Faith believes that God is too wise to make a mistake. Sure, I understand that after the event, we look at, okay, God made something good come out of that. Yeah, I, I, I see that. Okay, God, you were awesome. You made something good come out of it. But in the moment, we were saying, why me, Lord? How long? Faith believes that God is too wise to make a mistake. God is always doing things greater behind the scenes that you don't see than the things that you do see. God is always at work in more powerful and wonderful ways behind the scenes that you don't see than the things that you do see. 
Remember the bigness of God. We talked about a couple of weeks ago the golf ball analogy that we used. You've got to trust that God who is sovereign, that God who is big, that God who is great, the God who by his word spoke this universe into existence. On the wall of a concentration camp after World War II, an unknown prisoner carved these words. I believe in the sun, even though it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it isn't shown. I believe in God, even when he doesn't speak. Faith believes that God is too wise to make a mistake. Faith believes that God is too kind to be cruel. I understand that we live in a cruel world. I understand that there are cruel people. Every day we read the newspaper headlines and we say, Lord, right? How long? Lord, where are you? What's going on in our world? This is terrible. There are so many cruel things happening in our world. But we have to remember that faith believes that God is too kind to be cruel. Over the marble fireplace in the mathematics building of Princeton University, written in the original German, is the scientific credo, and this is it. God is subtle, but he is not malicious. That's written in the science building at Princeton University. God is never malicious in his dealing with us. Whatever he does, please hear this, he does for our good. The Apostle Paul spoke of the kindness of God in his amazing grace when he said these words in Romans 8, 28. You know these words well. We know that all things, all things, not some things, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, these passages are as important for what they do not say as for what they do say. They do not say that everything that happens is good. Don't ever hear that. Anybody that wants to tell you that, that's just not true. There are a lot of bad things that happen in this world. They do not say, these promises, that God causes evil. Don't blame God. They do not say that everything will turn out okay for everyone. That's not the case. Here's what they do say. God is at work in the world, especially in the lives of his children. His purpose is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. And that, that to that good end, God can and does use all things, the good and the bad, that which causes, that's which he causes and that which he permits. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing is wasted not even pain. Faith believes that God is too kind to be cruel. Faith believes that God always knows best and does best in his time. That's an important phrase, that last phrase. Faith believes that God always knows best and does best in his time. Did you know that God is under no compulsion to check with you about his timetable, right? He's under no compulsion. Hey, Bruce, what do you think? I'm thinking about this for creation. What do you think? He doesn't, he's already got it figured out, right? He's under no compulsion to wonder what our timetable is. The bottom line is this. We do our best. We do our part. But God is sovereign. 
Someone told me this last week that they were trying to write kind of the last chapter of their story. And as we talked, she realized that actually God's promise is that I'm going to write the last chapter in your story. He gives us lots of room to write lots of things in our story, but the last chapter, he says, is mine. You've heard him say it. Jesus proclaimed loudly from the heavens in a prophetic voice, Revelation 21, 5, I will make all things new. Can you trust that kind of a God? Can you trust the kind of God that is sovereign? that sees over all things the panorama of all life and all experiences and says, I know what's best. I know in your particular moment, in your time, you're wondering why and you're wondering how long, but God says, trust me. Defiant joy, defiant faith, trust me. And finally, faith believes that when we cannot trace the hand of God, we must trust the heart of God. Habakkuk presented a great affirmation of faith by saying in chapter 3, verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go into the heights. And what this is talking about is that God is saying, listen, I made the deer so that he can easily walk through difficult terrain. I made the deer so that he is able to uh, navigate very difficult uh, mountains and hills and rocks and terrain. And I made him like that. And here's God's promise. God says, I promised you the same thing. I made you with great faith and with defiant joy. I made you able to walk through the tough terrain, the difficult choices of life, the difficult situations that life brings to you and to do it victoriously. God says, I did that for you. Faith believes that when, when we cannot trust the hand of God, when we don't see what's happening, we must trust the heart of God. What's your treacherous terrain look like? Is it a broken marriage? Is it a desolate place? God's promises, I will be there and I will give you the feet to walk through those difficult times. All of you know... Uh, our story. Um, one of the great uh, tragedies of our lives is our 10-year-old son Tyler was killed in 1989 in a bicycle automobile accident. Never in my life have I asked the question more frequently than I did in those months. Why? God, why? And how long are we going to feel this grief? How long are we going to wake up in the morning with tears in our eyes? How long? is going to be over in a month, a year, 26 years. How long is it going to be? I remember Sherry and I were talking with a friend at one time. And our friend said, and Sherry was asking the question, we both asked, why? I mean, there are, we know hundreds of couples that um, could care less about their kids. Just let them do whatever, they abuse them, they mistreat them. We knew lots of people like that. Why us? We're trying to be good parents. We're trying to raise these kids in a Christian home. Of all the people that should be picked to have this kind of a situation, it shouldn't be us. Why, Lord? How long? And I remember our friend saying to us, I know, none of us can understand this, but you've just got to trust God's heart. And when she said that, it changed everything in me. 
We've just got to trust God's heart. Yeah, I don't understand the circumstances. I don't know why Tyler was killed. I don't have all those answers. I don't know when the grief is going to go away. Probably never. I don't know all of them. But here's what I do know with everything in me. I trust God's heart. He loves Tyler. And he loves me. And he loves Sherry. And he loves Nathan. And he loves Tammy. And he is never going to change his love for us. Will you trust this kind of a God? even if you don't understand why, even if he doesn't give you answers to your most ardent questions? Can you trust him because you know that he knows why? If you wonder how long, can you trust him because he knows the length and the purpose of your suffering? Can you trust him simply because he's God? Can you exhibit that defiant joy, that defiant faith, I trust in God in any circumstance in my life. Would you close your eyes with me, please, as I share this last word with you? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Amen.